Open up your morning light and say a little prayer for I. You know that if we are to stay alive, then see the love in every eye. Paula Cole. Hello, everybody, and I don't want to wait. It's time for another fabulous episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Spinsgard, and along with me, as per usual, please say hello, hello, hello to Mr. AJ Mass. Hello, hello, hello. We've got the beak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, indeed, we do. We got it. Uh, folks, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. We recap and take an in-depth look each week at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, and as you're probably used to me saying by now, AJ is our grizzled veteran of the scene who has seen every episode, so he'll be bringing you that perspective. And this week... We have Season 2, Episode 14 of Criminal Minds, entitled The Big Game. AJ, this episode aired on February 4th, 2007. AJ, on February 4th, 2007, in a very huge coincidence with the timing (laughs) of this episode... Super Bowl 41 was played, and the Indianapolis Colts defeated the Chicago Bears 29-17. to I was completely unaware, and apparently so were Jim Nance and Phil Sims at the start of this episode. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. This episode, also I will mention, was written by Edward Allen Bernero and directed by Gloria Muzio. So let's get on with it, shall we? Yes, yes, let's shall. We start off what may be... Our longest cold opening, maybe over the whole 15 years, I don't know, but this one was was pretty long. And I'm as just as confused when it started because, like I said, Jim Nance and Phil Sims were on screen apparently talking about Super Bowl 41 and how turnovers affected the game. <laughs> this but- was, can I just say, this was the most <laughs> nonsensical scripts. Uh, because ostensibly this is taking place as they're saying goodbye post Super Bowl. Uh, that that's that's mm-hmm. the shtick here. But of course they filmed this long before they knew who was even in the Super Bowl, let alone the results. And to just say the team with the most turnover. I mean that's what it comes. Out. They don't mention a team name. They don't mention a, 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 a it, no no Peyton Manning. Nothing about no. what's going on. Lovey Smith and <laughs> Tony Dunn. Like, this is a Oh, anyway, uh, it's just such nonsense, and it's just so silly. It is absolute. <laughs> and I did look it up though, uh, because I'm I'm anal like this. And indeed, thankfully, mercifully, I mean it was close. But the, the Colts won, and uh, the Bears did commit five turnovers to the Colts three. But it was not the uh, oh, oh we held on to the ball right. kind of thing. <laughs> well. You know, they did what they could. Uh, they probably shouldn't have even attempted it, <laughs> really. Just show them saying what a great game that was. 
Like you said, though, this 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 is a very long cold open, and it's because they were hoping right. to trick people <laughs> to stick around. Like, wait, am I watching? Wait, wait, what just happened there? And just keep them hooked as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we zoom out of the TV, and uh, we are not actually with Jim Nance and and uh, Phil Sims. Phil Sims, thank you. <laughs> we are in a in a lovely looking home that has tons of windows. The kind of windows just made for unsubs to see everything in it that you're up to. And it appears that we are at the end of a Super Bowl party. And there's that last couple finally leaving after overstaying their welcome far into the post-game show. Uh, <laughs> no, I just no, I just want to point out on this one. I, I, look, we're not going to stop every two seconds on this. But this is something that's so preposterously <laughs> awful. <laughs> Was this a Super Bowl party? I mean, <laughs> I know later on they're going to say, that, well, this is the last couple to leave the Super the Super Bowl party, but it's it's too messy for just the four of them. <laughs> but it's not messy enough right. for there to be more than maybe eight people. And if it was a party, like, they're just saying goodbye, wrapping up the game. I mean, how quickly did people take off from this yeah. thing? <laughs> I thought the same thing, AJ. <laughs> I was like, everybody bounced. It feels like the game just ended. It was only a uh, two-point game, and, 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 the, and it, the last seven was on a, a pick six towards the very end. It was close. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we do get some hilarious intracouple banter. And when I say hilarious, <laughs> I mean not at all. But all of a sudden, we do get some scary music and see a figure outside the house wearing the standard unsub brand hoodie. And uh, we hear a voice saying, he doesn't want to do this. And then another voice says, well, the guests are leaving now. Go around the back. So the uh, husband and wife that were throwing the, this huge shindig uh, say goodbye to their guests at the front door. And meanwhile, while they're doing that, we see an unsub's feet as he uh, enters at the back door of the place. The husband wants to go straight to bed. No, he doesn't. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> he wants to go straight to you the bedroom. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. But uh, the wife is like, no, we got to do a little bit of our uh, after party cleanup. Uh, so after <laughs> a little say, bit of protestation. She wants to do her after party cleanup yeah. to help out the maid who's going to come and do the rest of the cleanup in the morning. <laughs> yep. Uh, some people, man. So... The husband's like, okay, finally, uh, he agrees, and he and he goes to take out the trash, and he notices that the back door appears to be open, but after he asks his wife if she left the door open, she didn't really hear him, but he just doesn't make a fuss about it and says, oh, never mind, <laughs> and uh, may have been a mistake there uh, <laughs> on his part. After a small bit of cleanup or whatever, the hus the hubby has now been pretty insistent on uh, taking his wife upstairs for a little something-something. And uh, so they cutely decide to head upstairs. And then we get another great shot of our unsub shoes. And then we see him walking over to the phone, picks it up, and he dials 911, AJ. He does. He gives, gives the operator the address. She's like, I don't need that. <laughs> um, We're 911, bitch. We know who you are. <laughs> we know where you at. Which is not true anymore now with all the cell phone calls. They don't always yeah. know where <laughs> you're at. But 
But uh, back then, yeah, they knew. <laughs> and uh, he says to the uh, 911 operator, these people have too much stuff. They're too greedy. And the operator is rightly confused. And he starts to say he's calling because of Raphael. But then we hear a second voice and it's saying, that's enough. I thought I thought we heard the phone hang up at this point, AJ, but uh, apparently not because uh, we hear that second voice say, He's calling because Raphael is going to kill the sinners that live here. And I'm like, man, Ninja Turtles has gotten dark lately. <laughs> but anyway, the operator says, I'm sorry, did you say someone is killing someone? Hello? Hello? And then all of a sudden we hear a woman screaming. AJ, I was ready to say credits here. Yes. But don't start singing. Don't start singing yet. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we cut to the old Dubliner, Dubliner, <laughs> an Irish pub. I always, every time I see the word Dubliner, I say to myself, Dubliner. There's a book, a famous book called The Dubliners. Yes. And I always have said The Dubliners. Well, you were wrong. Just thought I'd point that out. It a forced error or a turnover, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, anyway... This is an Irish pub that has uh, another Super Bowl party going on. Loud music is playing, and we cut inside, and we see our man, my man, Morgan. He's dancing with, like, a gaggle of women all around him, doing some fresh, flirty dancing. And, and, and may I say the, the, the uh, decor of, of the uh, bar is definitely generic Super Bowl party chic. <laughs> Yes. Not a single yes, team indeed. logo. <laughs> just no, nobody's just rooting football. for anybody. I, they do have the, the official, you know, Super Bowl swag because CBS was able to get hold of that since the game was on CBS. But yeah, it was just it's just lame, lame, lame. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you're watching that night, you're probably just like into it and not really noticing these things. But <laughs> sure, but again, like, look how quickly the people bounce from the, the murder house. <laughs> Here, everyone's just like, dun, 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 dun. yeah, everyone is yeah. still there grooving. Uh, Garcia is digging Morgan's moves, and then uh, we follow Prentice, who's bringing some drinks back to a table where JJ is, and Hotch and uh, his wife Haley is. It was so nice to see the crew having fun together before all the, the doo doo hits the fan, so to speak. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, everybody's having a good time. Well, maybe not everyone, but we'll get there. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, Garcia is slurping on her drink and perhaps thinking some NSFW thoughts about Morgan. Um, and Hotch and Haley decide to give him a little competition, so they head out to the dance floor. Garcia has to go to the little girl's room. And uh, as she's walking there, we see... JJ is uh, at a dartboard with a couple of randos, and she's obviously kicking their butts, as she does, because she is JJ. But she gets a call, and she has to walk off to take it. And as she's passing uh, a table, she sees Reed there, gives him a little affectionate head rub as she passes him by. And uh, he's sitting at a table, impressing some folks with his deep-cut Star Trek trivia knowledge. I, I should <laughs> say impressing... The man and the couple that he's with, because I don't know if you caught the expression of the exasperated look on his girlfriend or wife or whoever she was 
when she hears him ask Reed for the Dr. McCoy quote from the episode in question. (laughs) But it was um, a great one second piece of acting. (laughs) it, It was cool. You know, again, we know Reed has an eidetic memory. So really... He must be drinking. <laughs> he must have been drinking a lot because, quite frankly, uh, none of this should have been hard for him. <laughs> yes. Uh, it does appear for a second that he's stumped and the woman starts to count it down. But Reed says, I will not peddle flesh. I'm a physician. Drink. <laughs> so, uh, yes, they were indeed playing a drinking game. Uh, we do cut to outside where JJ is taking her call and... It's not a booty call, AJ, because she's telling whoever she's talking to to have the police fax over the information. And she'll take care of all the notifications because she's with most of the team. She's with most of the team anyway. But AJ, as you pointed out, somebody is not there having fun with them. No, somebody's having fun on their own on Super Bowl Sunday in a museum. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We cut to the Smithsonian Institution. Where Gideon is, and he's he is having yeah. fun. Literally, he's whistle, whistling like a bird. I don't know if you knew uh, this, but Gideon likes birds. <laughs> I feel like we may have discussed that at some point. So a, a gentleman comes in, and he's got something special to show Gideon. And he says, uh, I got something special to show you on your annual Super Bowl visit. And I was like, oh, man. So every year on the Super Bowl... My man is in the Smithsonian looking at bird pictures. <laughs> yeah, so the guy shows him a hand-colored Autobahn, original Autobahn etching of the Turtus polyglottus, which I admit I didn't think when I heard that name that I wanted to see it. <laughs> but the Turtus is actually uh, a mockingbird. Gideon says, oh, this is beautiful. And he's impressed with the picture. And he talks about how the birds fight the rattlesnake for their nest with no concern for their own safety. Then he goes into how the mockingbird can emulate the cries of over 30 different species and even machinery. He thinks they're incredible. I wonder if that will ever come back up in this episode, AJ. Probably not. It's probably just a throwaway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen to the mockingbird! I- Listen to the mockingbird! <laughs> At that moment, he gets a call from JJ and he says, okay, I'll meet you in the office. And the Smithsonian guy says, oh, rattlesnake in someone's nest. And Gideon makes his apologies and leaves. I'll see you next year. (laughs) And no. No. Wait, another scene, AJ. (laughs) We cut next to our unsub driving in his car or truck. uh, And he's saying in a despairing voice, what did we do? What did we do? Uh, we can see he's got bloody gloves on as he's uh, steering the, the truck. Uh, and he gets out and pulls out near what looks like to be some kind of cornfield or something. And he's he's just muttering to himself. And he's saying, that wasn't redemption. That wasn't God's will. He takes off his bloody gloves and starts breaking down, crying. And he just says, Raphael, what, Raphael, what did we do? No, 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 not yet. (laughs) Another scene. Uh, We cut back now to the BAU office. uh, And Morgan is saying, it never fails. Just as I get my groove thang going, bam, we're back at the BAU. (laughs) And uh, Reed offers up, of course, statistics to prove 
that it seems like that, but it's really just our mind tricking us because we'll remember cases that came up that way more often than not. And Prentice is like, and besides, is it really too hard for you to get your groove bang going again? Uh, Gideon walks in at that point and says, only when he's sleeping. Hardy har har. Hardy har har har. Hotch asks Gideon where he was. And I'm like, come on, Hotch. Every Super Bowl before, you've never, never known. I mean, clearly Gideon has done this before. But anyway, he tells them he was at the Smithsonian. And Prentice says, well, he missed a good time. And Gideon says, oh, I had a good time. And uh, JJ walks in to let them know that the good times are over. (laughs) She puts the picture of our murdered couple on the screen. She says, this is uh, Dennis and Lacey Kyle. They were murdered an hour ago in their suburban Atlanta home. And Hotch is like, an hour ago? And JJ lets them know the police were super fast here because one of the unsubs was kind enough to call 911 and let them know that the other unsub was about to murder the victims. The uh, dispatcher had said that one male sounded terrified and begged them to get there because the other unsub, who they both identified as Raphael, was about to kill the sinners that lived there. So uh, they decide they're going to send Garcia the copy of the 911 tape, and they report that the police got there in 4 minutes, 26 seconds, during which time Raphael managed to do this, and JJ clicks to presumably such gross, gruesome pictures that Garcia has to gasp and turn away. And Prentice is like, they did this in four and a half minutes. JJ lets them know Mr. Kyle is a dot-com millionaire. This case is going to certainly have media coverage. Police did find a page torn from a Bible on the bed with the verse highlighted. And uh, Morgan says, oh, so they're killing sinners. That means they're on a mission. And Reed lets us know that mission-based killers will not stop killing. Hotch starts to read Revelation 6-8. And I looked, and I behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And Gideon finishes it dramatically, and hell followed with him. And no, not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Okay, AJ. Uh, I, I did kind of feel like all of these scenes, I feel like, oh, there's this is really for the people. This is their first time watching Criminal Minds. So we have oh, to like yes. sort of go over things kind of again that us even not so grizzled veterans have to have uh, already uh, been able to get used to. Indeed. We uh, cut to our unsub again. He's in his lair at this point. We see we hear him say this isn't right. And then we hear Raphael's bout some verses at him about keeping his commandments, obeying his voice, cleaving unto him, etc., etc. And Unsub 1 says, you don't serve God that way. And then we hear a big slap, and Unsub 1 grunts out in pain. And Raphael is like, you don't question me, boy. The camera has zoomed into what looks like a complicated uh, computer setup with banks of monitors, similar to uh, a Garcia bank of monitors. And Raphael, we hear him tell our unsub to clean himself up and quit his whining. He's done the Lord's work tonight. We cut to a dirty-looking bathroom, and our unsub is pulling off his hoodie, looking into the mirror. Hello, Dawson. It is indeed James Vanderbeek. <laughs> yes. The one and only Varsity Blues star himself. 
Uh, as he stares into the mirror, he flashes back to a younger version of himself on, on a farm. And there's a goat there and he's playing with some marbles. <laughs> and a very creepy looking dude comes out to yell at him. And uh, young Vanderbeek is like, Dad, no. And the I creepy don't want dude your drags. Life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the uh, creepy dude drags him uh, into a barn where uh, he's got a heart fire, hot fire going. And he says, uh, They can't do God's work unless they are sealed with God's mark. And he puts a brand in the hot fire of a cross. And uh, he. Unfortunately for young James Vanderbeek, he brands him on the forehead with a cross, basically. We cut back to uh, our unsub Vanderbeek staring in the mirror, and you see the cross on his forehead. And then we cut to him in the shower, shivering and freaking out a bit. As he washes off the blood from his body, the camera pans into the familiar psycho shot of the bloody water circling and going down the drain. And finally, AJ. What? Credits. Yeah, and? Oh, I'm supposed to do something. I'm sorry. <laughs> good minds, good minds, good minds, good minds, good minds. Super Bowl criminal minds. <laughs> so uh, we now have a shot. We're bringing out all the old tropes. We have a shot of the, the BAU jet. Flying the wrong way once again. <laughs> yep. uh, and we get our quote from Gideon. Condemned murderer Perry Smith said of his victims, the Clutter family, I didn't have anything against them and they never did anything wrong to me the way other people have all my life. Maybe they're just the ones who have to pay for it. Very specific and direct quote. <laughs> yes, Prentice is like, uh, this is a bad one, isn't it? And I myself would argue that they're all bad, <laughs> pretty much. But you know, okay, Prentice. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it, it is kind of just the speed of the of the kill, given the time frame. It, it's imagine imagine if uh, if the unsubs had taken their sweet time to savor it. <laughs> yeah, true. Morgan just answers her, you know, with the standard unsubs with the cause are never good. Uh, Garcia, she flashes in on the computer to let them know she's got the 911 tape and she plays the same call that we heard before. Prentice uh, says, hey, you know, unsub number one sounded frightened. Maybe he's doing this against his will. And Gideon down, doubts it because he whispered. And Hotch says he could have called out to save his victim instead of calling 911, which is true. I mean, it's true. And yet... <laughs> I mean, come on, let's, let's yeah. be a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, briefly discuss the fact that Raphael referred to himself in the third person, and Reed says doing that isn't uncommon for an unsub, <laughs> and brings up his favorite, favorite, favorite serial killer, Ted Bundy, I yet mean, again. <laughs> is third person talking really all that unusual i mean i guarantee you at least one of the athletes interviewed at the end of the super bowl went you know uh i gotta tell you peyton manning's gonna do the best thing for peyton manning <laughs> someone had to say something like that <laughs> marvin harrison's the best marvin harrison uh -huh. marvin harrison can be i don't know <laughs> so uh garcia she's gonna run the name Raphael through all the various databases and Hotch says they need to get the hit the ground running, so he tells JJ they're going to need some 
uh, info on the victimology. And of course, she says, I'm already on it because (laughs) she's JJ. Uh, He tells Prentice to uh, examine the wounds on the bodies and how did they kill two victims in four and a half minutes. Meanwhile, Hotch is going to set up at the Atlanta field office and go over the case files. Gideon, Reed, and Morgan will go to the crime scene. Gideon looks at a picture of the Bible page, and we kind of Kodak travel to the crime scene. Yeah, yeah, where we, that page? Like you said, this is this is for the newbies. <laughs> yeah, so you know they're gonna break out that trick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're at the crime scene now, and we see that Bible page labeled with an evidence tag still on the bed. Reed notes that Gideon seems unhappy, and Gideon is. He's tired of people using religion to justify the terrible things that they do. Uh, There's a local Atlanta detective there who inquires about what mission these killers are on, and Reed explains that the unsubs believe they're on a mission from God. So we're looking for the Blues Brothers, apparently. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Apparently. And of course, the cop has no idea what an unsub is because, again, this is for the newbies, so we got to spend time. Oh, well, an unsub is blah, 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 blah. Exactly. <laughs> Most of the scene is pretty much, hey, people who are watching for the first time. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, and Gideon, who was walking around doing his thing at the scene, uh, asks how many times Mr. Kyle was stabbed. And the detective says, well, stabbed isn't exactly the word which is our cue to cut to Prentice, who is with the bodies, and she's talking to the medical examiner, who is explaining the cuts, how they were all long, deep gashes, and each victim had the same wounds. Both of them had their throats cut, and then there was a vertical gash up one arm and a vertical gash down one leg, to which Prentice says, ah, the major arteries. And uh, she confirms that anyone with a basic understanding of uh, anatomy could know uh, how to work efficiently like this. The ME says it's basically exactly like an animal at slaughter. Uh, you cut the throat first, then maybe you open up some of the other arteries to assist in draining blood from the carcass. So maybe they're looking for a hunter or a farmer, or as the ME says, pretty much anyone in rural Georgia. I thought this was a funny little line. Not a lot of funny in this episode, but I thought that was... Yeah, so we've never seen like a hunter or farmer, yeah, or anyone, anyone who lives here. <laughs> yeah. Nice try, Prentice. Uh, we next cut to the Atlanta FBI field office, and Hotch is there. He's looking at a map of the state of Georgia. JJ walks up and lets him know that she just talked to the last couple that left the Super Bowl party. And according to them, the Kyles didn't have any enemies. They treated their employees nice. They were just generally good people. And Hotch is like, so why them? And JJ says, well, if the trigger is greed, they do have a really nice house. And Hotch says, yeah, but you can't tell that from the street. These people were chosen and we need to know why and how. An FBI agent who we will later find out his name is Agent Franks. He comes up and he's says he's pulled all the unsolved cases from the last few years. Uh, and they have nothing at all close to this M.O. Uh, so J.J. asks if perhaps she could go through the files, fresh eyes and whatnot. And Agent Franks is like, there's nothing there. And then J.J. smiles and is like, help me out, okay? Those guys aren't going to let me do anything else. I flew all the way here, so... And of course, 
Agent Frank falls for this act. And he says he'll show her the file room. And as she's walking off to follow him, she gives Hotcha a wry little, the shit I have to do smile. Uh, and she follows <laughs> but, him out. <laughs> but nonetheless, she JJ, she already took care of everything that she had been assigned. And she's already showing initiative to get on to the next thing because she's JJ. <laughs> we uh, now cut back to the crime scene and the local detective is almost apologizing that they didn't get there faster. And Gideon and Reed are like, look how fast you did get here. Uh, you know, Reed is even comparing it to New York City's uh, response times. Morgan uh, decides it's time to do my walk in the footsteps of the killer thing. Yeah, I actually th- I actually think there were at least two moments here where he looked like he was going to go in for the green screen effect. And they kind of just probably bailed on it for time's sake because... They start, he stepped back and kind of set it up, and then they didn't do it. <laughs> right. Uh, so Morgan is saying, well, assuming that Unsub 1 wasn't involved with the killing, I walk in, I come over here, and I kill Mr. Kyle first. And the local detective is, how do you know that? And Morgan says, a blitz attacker neutralizes the greatest threat first. In this case, it would be the man. We're hitting everything, AJ, that we've come up with. This is our second pilot, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Gideon says, plus uh, there was the 911 call. The woman screamed. And Reed points out that you certainly can't scream if you have your throat (laughs) cut. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Morgan says, uh, so Mrs. Kyle sees her husband murdered. She screams, runs her way to the bathroom. And Morgan heads over there saying, I force my way in. We see a smudge of blood on the bathroom door. And Morgan says, and then I kill Mrs. Kyle right here in the bathroom. The detective says, well, they checked their that particular smudge for prints. Looks like this guy wore gloves. Not with any pattern, so it was like latex gloves, maybe. Morgan says, that doesn't make any sense. And Reed explains, unsubs suffering from a psychopathy, like a delusion or a message from God, are what they classify as being disorganized. And disorganized killers, AJ, they generally don't clean up after themselves. Oh, yeah. Season one scripts cracked back open. (laughs) As we hold the hands of all our new viewers. Thank goodness it's just a one-time thing, and I get it. I get it. You're hoping for the highest ratings ever. I get it. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Morgan gets a phone call, and it's Garcia. She's asking if he's at the crime scene, and when he says yes, she asks if there's like a burgundy settee (laughs) against one wall. And we see that she appears to be looking at a video of the Kyles in their very that very room. Morgan is like, uh, yes, there is. If by settee, you mean like a little couch. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was funny. And Garcia says, yeah, she got a viral video which they then explained for the septuagenarians in the crowd what a viral video is. Oh, man, uh, did they 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 are going to ex- overplay everything this week. That was one of yeah. the worst. Yeah. And then uh, apparently it's a video of the crime itself, more specifically of Mr. Kyle being murdered. And Morgan repeats it. Garcia, there's a video of this murder posted on the Internet. (laughs) She's like, yeah. And it was shot in the room directly across from the and then she pauses the little couch. (laughs) So 
Morgan heads over to that part of the room and notices that there is an open laptop on the desk there. And it looks like maybe the camera is on and we cut to our unsubs lair where the computer screens are all set up. And we say we see Morgan's face looking into the camera and we pan out and we see uh, Vanderbeek is there and he's eating a bowl of Fruit Loops, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> and he's watching the whole thing. He also has all the other monitors set up and you can see that they're viewing various different people and places and things. Uh, we cut to a commercial. Yes, I just did a quick look up and indeed this was the highest rated Crew and Minds episode of all time. Certainly uh, 26.7. Was was writing it. They usually are getting like a twelve to fourteen at this point. So uh, almost a two X audience. So certainly not too shabby. They did hold a, uh, they did hold the audience for maybe uh, two episodes, and then it got back down to normal. So, but uh, nevertheless, okay. a nice grab. Good job, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. Uh, we come back and we're at the uh, FBI field office. The team is going over the video, and we hear our unsub speaking, talking about how the world is a cesspool, greed, lust, etc., etc., redemption, etc., <laughs> gotta all repent, so on and so forth. Uh, Hotch sees that he refers to Raphael, Raphael, and Gideon says, uh, or God is what he is referring to. Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, what, what was your first clue? The Bible verses that are left behind? <laughs> Again, a lot, of, a lot of hand-holding here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Morgan thinks that it's not a, a god, but he thinks it's there's probably someone sitting right next to this guy telling him what to say. And then we hear yet another voice come on with a verse, and it's not a voice that we've heard before yet. And Prentice says, uh, third unsub? Uh, Morgan points out that it could just be a recording from some sermon or something. And JJ, meanwhile, has picked up on what the voice is actually saying. She says, punish ye seven times. And Gideon says, five more victims. So Morgan says the video was shot from the computer that they now have from the house. Hotch asks if maybe the unsubs brought the computer with them. But Reed points out that this is probably the Kyle's computer I mean, they can confirm it with Garcia, but it does have their banking statements and vacation photos on it. So it's probably and their the password computer. was Kyle Kyle 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, they found it in a Metallica CD. Uh, <laughs> so Reed is looking at the laptop and we can see all of a sudden Reed's uh, image itself on Vanderbeek's computer monitors. Reed realizes that the camera is actually on, and he uh, asks Agent Franks if this building has wireless internet. <gasps> Not Wi-Fi! <laughs> Again, the age of these episodes, you don't realize how much technology has advanced and how quickly until you go back and watch. This is not that long ago of an episode. Right. And they, they really do have to explain, wait, wireless? <laughs> internet? Yes. <laughs> We hear Raphael's voice say, See that boy, I told you the armies of Satan would rise up against us. And uh, Vanderbeek starts to clickety-clack himself. Reed says the computer is streaming the video somewhere. Hotch asks if they can trace where it's sending back to. 
And I believe that's the accurate use. Yeah, yes, no, this one is good. Yes, you're tracing a signal. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Reed starts to say if they can keep the line open, Garcia might be able to. But all of a sudden, <laughs> the computer starts beeping. And then it says in big red letters uh, flashing by on a black background, the armies of Satan shall not prevail. And then it turns itself off. I don't know if I bought that too much, AJ, but okay. I'm, I'm actually okay with that if, it, you know, it's got remote access. And I, I just love the fact that they're like, can, can it do that? Yes. <laughs> Is that even possible? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, all, all of a sudden Garcia's got to explain Baumgart to us all. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so like you said, Garcia has to explain that it's possible that they contacted tech support because tech support usually logs into people's machines that way, and they could possibly leave behind a Trojan horse, which is then explained as a program that can start itself later. <laughs> um, and uh, so Hotch asks Garcia to maybe check the Kyle's phone records, see maybe they called for tech support over like the last six months or so. Um, so Garcia agrees, and she says if, if they can get her the Kyle's laptop, she can also search the drive for anything implanted there and um garcia says the video has become the most downloaded video people out there are sick and they seem to think this video is cool gideon is saying murder as entertainment uh jj points out that most people probably don't even realize it's real they might assume it's marketing for a horror film or something like that Fair, fair enough there. I just, I just, I just love this whole scene with the like. Can they actually do that? Yes, yeah, actually they can. What's a Trojan horse? Well, actually, it's this crazy viral. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's over explanation. I mean, maybe I guess as a twenty twenty one person viewing this, it's way over explanation. But maybe during this time, I, I would have been. I think it's still it's it's they know the CBS demographic in general skews older and does not understand technology and actually fears technology a little bit. I think if they play into it a lot with their storylines, this is just another one like, oh, you mean I can just give my computer to the tech support and they can come in and put weird words on my screen and then turn it off? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we do cut to uh, Vanderbeek and he's looking at a, a message board uh, uh, messages on the viral video and he's just positively disgusted at all the positive comments coming from folks with names like Aces, Mad Max, Joe Bob, and Ms. Vamp. And they uh, all do seem to think it is some cool marketing for some kind of film. And Vanderbeek is like, no, 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 this is a warning, not a show. All of a sudden, he gets a little call, so he puts on a headset, and he answers and says, tech support. <laughs> tech <laughs> this bothered me, AJ, as a person who works in the professional technical support venue, you identify the company, unless it's internal tech support only, but this is clearly not internal tech support only. This is regular people. So say Geek Squad or whatever, please. Well, yeah, I'm not going to say Geek Squad because this is proprietary, yeah. but yeah. This is a company, look, this is a company called <laughs> Tech T E K Soup yeah. S U P E dash O R T Tech Support. Uh, I hear you. All right, I'm with you. If you give me that, if you give me that, I'll go. I'll go with it. For now. 
So anyway, <laughs> he says tech support and uh, some clueless sounding guys calling because his sound system appears to be screwed up. And when he's when he's asked, I did enjoy this as a tech support person because he's asked, you know, what kind of a computer does he have? And he's like, I don't know. A big one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But all of a sudden, Vanderbeek is like, well, do you have a camera on your computer? And the guy's like, "Uh, yeah, but it's my sound (laughs) that's messed up. And (laughs) Vanderbeek is like, well, okay, I can fix that but I'm going to need remote access to your computer. And the guy's like, sure. Yeah. Whatever that means. (laughs) Yeah. Again, different Uh, time, (laughs) much different time. Meanwhile, at this whole time, Vanderbeek had his eye on another one of his streams going on. And there's a woman there answering a door and she lets a man in and Vanderbeek is caught by this all of a sudden. And he's like, no, no, no. And we hear the other voice saying, that whore, that Jezebel. And the dude with the sound issues is like, "Uh, what do you mean? No. (laughs) Uh, Vanderbeek takes off his headset and he says, no, she made a mistake. Come on, we don't have to. God is about love and forgiveness. And the other voice says, what the hell do you know about God? Mm. Um, I think Vanderbeek has it right. But, you know, it's, you know, yeah. I'm not going to argue with Raphael. I mean, the concept of uh, somebody who uh, can see everything you're doing, from <laughs> that's a ridiculous concept. I mean, certainly it's not what James Vanderbeek <laughs> is doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to the FBI field office, uh, and Hotch is asking the team, what do they have so far? So now they have to repeat everything that we've basically already heard. And I'm not going to do it, AJ. <laughs> Thank you. Thank basically, you. that's all he does. They repeat everything that has happened so far. And at the end of that whole scene, Gideon says, uh, so basically, we don't have enough information yet. <laughs> We're going to recap for those people who maybe turned it off at the end of the game and now turning it back to see if the game is still over. Or, or, or did, did they miss something? Or Oh, I don't know. Uh, is, is the news on yet? Oh, no. What's this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we uh, cut to the home that we saw a moment ago in Vanderbeek's monitors. Jezebel's house, and, uh, I like to call I, it. Jezebel's house, yes. And I can hear, we can hear, I assume that the woman upstairs, she's either making sweet love or being violently killed at that point. <laughs> one uh, of the two. <laughs> one of the two. Uh, but then we see our unsub's boots entering the back door of the home. We see him walk over to the phone, pick it up, and he calls 911. When the operator answers, we hear a voice. Uh, again, I think this may be Raphael's voice now instead of Vanderbeek's unsub one voice. And it, it goes into more some, some more scripture about adultery and gives them the address and then says, Raphael must teach more sinners the way of the Lord. He uh, grabs the laptop that's there by the phone, heads up the stairs, and we cut to a break. Yes, I mean, uh, man, it's like all these voices, and they all seem to wear the same set of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I mean, look, we're going to find out that they're all inside James Erdogan's head. Is it, have you figured this out by not watching the first time? Or uh, uh, Yeah, I figured it out in the first scene. I, okay. I, I figured, I just figured sure. Yeah, I, yeah, we'll talk okay. about it. <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, uh, we come back to the uh, FBI office. JJ comes over to Hotch to let him know that Agent Franks was right. Uh, she looked at all of the open knife cases, and none of them seemed to fit the uh, M.O., but J.J. isn't going to leave it there. No, she's going to figure out another angle. She's decided to check into any unsolved home invasions, and apparently three months ago, a prowler was called in directly outside of the Kyle's house. There was a witness who was walking a dog in a nearby park and saw a man in dark clothing going over the back wall and start sneaking up to the house. But by the time the police got there, the prowler was gone. Hotch says, only one man. And JJ says, apparently. Uh, there is no description of the man in the case file. The name of the witness was one Tobias Hankel. <laughs> Love that name, Tobias Hankel. And uh, he lives about an hour from there. Hotch says, well, it's a long shot. But he might be able to give you guys a description. So why don't JJ, you and Reed go there, find Mr. Hankel, see if he remembers anything. Yes, Reed, Reed was sitting there the whole time enjoying a nice Rice Krispies treat. So yes, he was. <laughs> yes, that's why he wasn't talking. He was enjoying some snap, crackle, and pop goodness. <laughs> exactly. Agent Franks comes up to Hotchner and lets him know that there has been another murder. No. Yep, we cut to the new crime scene. And our uh, our detective from before is there, along with Hotch, Prentice, Gideon, and Morgan. The detective tells them that this guy called this in again to 911, uh, but this time only one of them spoke. The detective is pretty sure it was Raphael this time. He uh, wrote down what he said, and there's a recording that's going to be brought there. It took them 11 minutes to respond this time. They only had one unit nearby. And Morgan asks if the unsub could know that. And the detective says, well, a lack of a police presence here has gotten some local media attention recently. Also, another weird thing in this case happens to be that the male victim, he did not live there, AJ. He was a local handyman. My, my, my. Wait a second. What's going on? Yeah. Could she have indeed been a Jezebel? <laughs> <laughs> so... There's a couple that that are named the Douglases. They live there. And our detective actually just talked to Mr. Douglas, who was out of town on business and on his way back. According to him, he wasn't having any handiwork being done on the house. <laughs> oh, I bet he wasn't having the handiwork done. <laughs> and his wife was supposed to be home. She, however, appears to be missing because her car is there, her keys, her wallet, her purse... Uh, so they've got her description out on on the field. Uh, I have to say that this is possibly the most efficient police department I have ever seen on this show. <laughs> like you know, they, they respond like that, and they you know they've oh yeah I've already made some calls and I have all the information we need. So you know I've actually done my job and I'm not waiting for you to call your tech to go clickety clack. Like right. we are on this. Actually, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So Gideon asks what the 911 caller said. So the detective pulls out his little notebook and says, uh, Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery. The detective looks around like, Oh, snap! Adultery! Dude! <laughs> Yeah, you, you make the joke there, but it, it, he actually, the, the for me, what was so funny was how understated it was. It was like, an, uh, adultery. oh, 
Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, I, I got it now. Uh, all right, I'm with you. <laughs> Oopsies. <laughs> I still don't know what this strange man was doing upstairs in the bed. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Hotch says, well, okay, we know what the sin is now, adultery, but they kill him and not her. Apparently, they abduct her. So, the detective asks if they think she's still alive. And Hotch says, well, they never assume anything without any evidence. And Gideon repeats the line about cast her into bed and says that it's from Revelations again. And it's about Jezebel, who was a bad, bad girl. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Hotch says that the unsubs knew she was having an affair. Uh, There was a laptop there. We cut to upstairs and Morgan and Prentice are looking at the murder scene in the body. They bend down over the body, and Morgan says, don't look now, but we're on candid camera. And Prentice doesn't turn around, but she says, uh-huh, and we see the laptop behind her, and I'm expecting Alan Futt to walk out. <laughs> we thought it would be funny to happen. kill this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny to me also how they're like, they're assuming that it's video. They're just assuming that there's no sound, I guess. Or, yeah, or generally what? speaking, in these situations, it's it's video only. Generally on these shows, but yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Instead, uh, the next thing we cut to seeing is uh, Morgan and Prentice on Vanderbeek's monitors, but Vanderbeek is not there. The chair is empty, and instead, we next cut to an outside view of a barn. And we hear a woman crying out. I will assume that it's Mrs. Douglas, our Jezebel. And we uh, hear Raphael's voice saying, tire hands there and there. And unsub one says, we don't have to do this. And Raphael says, tire hands and shut up. You're useless. Sometimes can't even believe you're my son. And the re- we hear the uh, woman, Mrs. Douglas, crying, say, please don't hurt me. We cut back to the Douglas home. Morgan and Prentice are coming down the stairs, and Morgan says there's a laptop set up on the dresser upstairs. Uh, Garcia's trying to track the camera feed right now back to its destination, and so Gideon and the local detective head up the stairs. We cut back to outside of the barn. Once again, here, Raphael saying, I gave her the space to repent her fornication, and she repented not. And we hear Mrs. Douglas immediately saying, no, no, I repent. No, I do. I swear. I repent. And and I think what's important here is that this, this every time they cut back, we, we are only seeing pictures of the barn from the outside. We have no, right. This is all coming from the inside, but we have not seen any of this conversation going on. It's just shots of barn. Yes. Uh, Vanderbeek says, see, she repents. It's in the book, Luke 15, 10. I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And Mrs. Douglas is like, I am sorry. I do. I repent. Please. <laughs> well, she says it <laughs> more frightened than that. But uh, she she is uh, trying to convince them. We hear Raphael say, just tape her mouth. We cut back to the house. Hotch comes out to say to Princess and Morgan, let's work this out. What does this new behavior tell us? And Princess says, well, there was only one unsub this time, uh, Raphael alone. And Hotch says, not if he's the psychotic, he wouldn't be capable of operating this efficiently. 
Someone was here who could control himself, make sure no evidence was left behind. And Morgan Morgan points out uh, the first time Unsub One called the police, but this time Raphael called. Why? He's saying it's like the phone call is necessary. It's part of his signature. Mm. Like will you sign on a check? <laughs> no, let's. Thankfully, they don't explain <laughs> right, signature exactly. yet again. But we uh, cut back up to the handyman's body, and Gideon is reading. There was a verse left with this one: "Power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, and with death, and with beasts of the earth." The detective asks Gideon if he sees anything new, and and Gideon says no. The detective points out that the book Revelations has a lot of bad stuff in it. <laughs> Gideon uh, asks about Raphael calling alone this time. Uh, Gideon says, this team doesn't act like any team we've ever seen. We have someone that's clearly a dominant personality, and there's clearly a subservient one. But they don't swing back and forth like this. They don't just take on each other's roles. The detective is like, meaning? And all of a sudden... We see Gideon flashback on the conversation he had with the Smithsonian guy about the mockingbird emulating the cries of other species. And then he looks at the detective and asks him if he's ever heard of the archangel Raphael. Have you ever heard of Impressionist Rich Little? <laughs> <laughs> we, we cut back and uh, now we're inside the barn, AJ, mm -hmm. and we see Mrs. Douglas tied in a stall. Uh, she's got her arms up. It's almost like she's in a crucifixion uh, pose, almost uh, tied up. And we hear Raphael tell his boy to get up in front of the camera, show the world what's up. Uh, he puts his, he has his hoodie back on as he sits in front of the camera, and he just starts reading out uh, the the scripture that's pertaining to Jezebel. We cut to Hotch asking Prentice and Morgan if they've ever seen this in case history. And Morgan says, a mixture of extreme psychosis in a controlled individual? No. One of the most common indicators of extreme psychosis is solitude. Uh, Gideon comes up and asks if Garcia was able to find anything on a Raphael in the records. Morgan says, not yet. And Gideon says, so why is this guy naming himself? He's not worried about us getting that name. In fact, he wants us to know. Prentice says, an alias? And Gideon says, or Raphael doesn't actually exist. What? Mm. Gideon points out that Raphael was an archangel. Maybe they have just one unsub suffering from the delusion that he is an archangel. Maybe that first call was not from two people, but from one. And then Prentice asks, what about the third voice? And Gideon doesn't know about that yet. And Hotch says, if Mrs. Douglas is Jezebel... There's an especially unpleasant death for her and her future. We cut to our unsub reading the scripture, getting to the part where the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And all of a sudden, dogs must have heard the word <laughs> dogs because they start barking. This was, this was so stupid. <laughs> and going stupid nuts. <laughs> because obviously the dogs are there the whole time and barking and everything. And Jezebel, look, when they start barking, looks at him like, oh, my God, there's dogs. <laughs> like, the look on her face. Like, she had yes. no idea these dogs were here before. It hadn't crossed her mind <laughs> that they might be sicked on her or anything. Like, it was just, 
It was very, very silly. Very silly. Yep. So we cut to, we see all of a sudden that there are dogs and they're in a little cage and they're barking and they're going wild. They don't look like very friendly dogs. At which point Sansa opens up the cage and lets them loose on Reese Bolton. On <laughs> <laughs> Ramsey Bolton. Right? No, no. Ramsey Bolton doesn't get eaten. No, no Bronx oh, Show. Darn it. Bronx Show. Meanwhile, we do see that this is all being recorded on a clearly year 2000s uh, video camera. <laughs> Tripod and everything. <laughs> yes. We cut to outside the barn and then we go to a commercial. And when we come back, we're in the FBI field office. Morgan says Garcia is doing the voice analysis on the first tape to see if there are indeed two voices and then also she'll take the third voice off of the videotape and see if that gets them anything. They do get a call from Garcia, who was agitated that she couldn't get them on their cell phones. But Hotch <laughs> explains that they were traveling and they had spotty signals. Can you hear me now? <laughs> uh, Garcia lets them know that they've got another video and she's downloading it as they speak. We cut to Vanderbeek. It looks like he's drying himself off after another shower. So I would say at this point, I was thinking, ah, it doesn't look like things are too good for Mrs. Douglas, but uh, yeah, we'll fair, see. Fair, fair. <laughs> uh, he's looking into his mirror again, and he flashes back again to him being abused by his father, or this time he's being, quote unquote, baptized uh, <laughs> by being violently shoved into the bathtub. Drowned, you mean? <laughs> yes. Finally, his father pulls him out, puts him on the floor, and he's crying and choking as his father tell him, tells him that serving the Lord is a duty. We cut back to the office, and uh, Garcia and team are watching the new video. They get to the dog part of the video. Everybody seems grossed out. So, again, I infer that good things aren't happening. Uh, happening. And Gideon says, Jezebel's death. The detective says, wait, before they turn it off, because all of a sudden, he recognizes the dogs. These very dogs attacked someone a couple months ago. He would have had them impounded, but the victim knew the owner, didn't want to press charges, and Gideon is like, are you sure? And the detective says, as God is my witness. <laughs> Which I thought was, wow, okay. Uh, I, I mean, look, th this cop's been pretty good yeah. so far. I don't know why... He, I, I, it was very, uh, are you sure? Like, you're sure, right? Oh, it should have been a little bit more like, okay, you're sure. Cool, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. We cut now to Casa de Vanderbeek. He's taking a little snooze in front of his monitor bank when all of a sudden he's woken by a knock on his door. Uh, this is very Silence of the Lambs, but uh, anyway, <laughs> which has happened on this show before. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> he, he, uh, Puts his monitors into sleep mode and goes to answer the door. We cut back to the bureau, and the detective is saying that he put a call into animal control. He doesn't know if they ever followed up on it. He's looking through his notebook to find the dog owner's name. Why, it's Hankel. Tobias Hankel. Uh-oh. We cut to Vanderbeek opening the door to JJ and Reed. Also, there was a commercial break here, but anyway... We come back, JJ introduces Reed and herself to Vanderbeek, their FBI, and at this point, Vanderbeek already looks mad sus. <laughs> uh, he says they can't come in when they ask, 
he doesn't let anyone in the house. And Reed is actually uh, like, uh, I need to uh, use the uh, facilities. And he has for like that last half hour. And JJ, in a rare moment of not catching on, says, how come you didn't say anything in the car? <laughs> but see, uh, no, I'm actually torn here. I'm actually torn here. Is if, if at this point, if it is a ruse, or Reed actually has had to go for the last half hour. <laughs> I, th- I think it might be doubling as both. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's possible, yeah. It's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, because we're not a hundred percent sure if his suspicions. I mean, it was a little sus, but we don't. We're not clear yet if he's like full fire suspicious. Exactly. At this point. So I'm not sure which way it lands here. I mean, it's awkward if it. It's weird if it's not a ruse, but yet it's Reed, so maybe it isn't. Maybe it is just awkward. <laughs> yes. So uh, Tobias Hankel says he's not letting anyone in. His father doesn't like it. And Reed is like, father? Dude, you're like 30. People who are 30 have fathers, Reed. <laughs> yes. That's a weird thing is, to say. <laughs> yeah. Hankel is like, uh, what age can one start disrespecting the wishes of his parents? It was phrased very awkwardly, AJ. Uh, he ain't wrong, but it's us. <laughs> yeah. So, JJ is like, look, let's get to the point. You uh, witnessed something a few months back that might be very helpful to a case we're working on. And he's like, I did? (laughs) She's like, yeah, you were walking your dog, saw someone going into someone's yard. He's like, I don't have a dog. It it wasn't me. Uh, Sorry. Reed tries to uh, request the bathroom again, but uh, Hankel is like, no, and by... Now, J.J. is noting how sus this all seems. And uh, so they start to walk away. And J.J. is saying, why bother calling the police in the first place if later you were just going to say that you didn't? And Reed figures it out. He says, to gauge the response time, if you were going to kill somebody, but you wanted to call the police first, what would you need to know? And J.J. realizes and she says how long it takes for them to get there. All of a sudden, Reed runs around the side of the house. And he starts looking into uh, Vanderbeek's window. See, now I th- I think it would have been much more um, honest and kind of funny if he said, "All right, well, <laughs> I still gotta go. I wasn't lying about that." And if he started to take a leak yes. at the side of the house and started to peer <laughs> in, I think that would have been a little more interesting to me. <laughs> that would have been great. So he watches Vanderbeek comes back into his room. He wakes up all his commu- computer monitors. And Reed is looking at the various screens of people. And then he looks up to realize that Vanderbeek is staring at him. And Vanderbeek turns around, makes a break for it. So Reed calls JJ over. Vanderbeek runs out of the house. We see him go into the barn. And Reed shouts out to JJ, he's the unsub. So they run outside of the barn. And Reed has pulled out his gun. He tells JJ to call Hotch. But she reminds him that they have no cell service. Reed says, uh, of course we don't. So <laughs> JJ pulls out her gun. Reed tells her to cover the front. He's going to go around the back. Uh, Hotch knows that they came here. They'll just have to wait this guy out. It, it was it was actually a funny moment when Reed did pull out his gun. Because he's like, he's like are you sure? He's like, when do I pull this thing out of? I'm not sure, JJ. Right. <laughs> right. Come on, man. Uh, JJ is like, no, no, as... Reed is leaving, and uh, 
he's already gone before she can finish her sentence. She's like, are you sure we should split up? Split up, split up, split up, split up, split up. <laughs> Reed hears uh, some running out in the cornfield and he yells out to JJ that he's out back. But it doesn't look like JJ has heard him. The barn door is opened. Uh, so JJ, of course, goes to check that out. We cut to Reed going through the cornfield. We all hear Raphael ask why he's running from those devils. And Vanderbeek says, well, they're the FBI. <laughs> and Raphael says, they're devils. You're doing the Lord's work. You got nothing to be afraid of. We cut back to JJ in the scary barn. There's chains in there. There's no lights on. It's very scary, scary. She whispers out for Reed. We uh, cut back to Reed listening in the cornfield. Vanderbeek says he doesn't want to do this anymore. And we hear Raphael tell Vanderbeek not to disrespect him. And then we hear what sounds like a punch and a smack. And Raphael is saying, you don't got no choices. The Lord summons you to do his work. And Vanderbeek is saying, he's sorry, he's sorry. We cut back to JJ. She steps into something wet. It's blood. She steps back. We hear the dogs growling. The camera points to each one of them in like an individual <laughs> setting. <laughs> uh, clearly lit um, all of a sudden. And uh, they start to spring at JJ. And we hear her scream. And all of a sudden we hear gunshots. Cut back to Reed shouting, JJ! And he starts to run back toward the barn. But all of a sudden, he's he gets punched. And he's fallen to the ground. And it's Vanderbeek. And he grabs Reed's gun. He has the gun pointed at Reed. And Reed is like, wait, wait. And Vanderbeek says, I couldn't stop him by myself. I tried to warn everyone. And Reed is like, just relax, Mr. Hankel, all right? Uh, we hear Raphael's voice say, shoot him. Vanderbeek says, I don't want to. And then we see that it's Vanderbeek speaking both voices. Shocker. <laughs> the shocking reveal. <laughs> and uh, he says uh, in Raphael's voice, I said, shoot him, boy. He's a Satan. And he starts arguing with himself, a la Norman Bates talking to his mother. <laughs> and uh, Raphael says, I'm not going to tell you another time, boy. Shoot him. And at this point, AJ, the episode ends. Yes. What the what? To it's a two-parter? Continued. Damn it, it. it. It's not a two-parter <laughs> per se. <laughs> uh yeah, no, it's this is this is a two-parter. <laughs> With episodes airing on different nights. Uh yeah, they they aired on Wednesdays usually, so it was like a Wednesday. Then the Super Bowl Sunday, and then the, you only have to wait till Wednesday for the next episodes. But yeah, this is uh, let's see if we can get people to stay tuned and become regular watchers of the show. And hey, cliffhanger aside, what did you, yeah. what did you think about the whole waiting till two seconds left in the episode to reveal to the audience that? We what we all knew from pretty much the get go. <laughs> yeah, so that was my point. I, I'm wondering. I don't feel like it's a 2021 sophistication because you had movies like Fight Club and uh, Usual Suspects and, and and that type of 
uh, even even like going back a little bit, you know, Sybil, Psycho, like you had all we've already had all these uh, instances of, oh, it's just the one person, you know, with split personalities. So I don't feel like it, it's necessarily sophistication of 2021. And I felt a little disappointed, like, don't even try to hide it. Just show him through the episode being crazy. Yeah, I, I crazy I agree. talking to himself because this, this we don't be need that. that. If you're gonna do this, you you can, you can mystery it up for the beginning, certainly. Because if they don't know, we don't know. That's fine. But they hinted at it several times. But even like the very first scene of of, of the episode when he's standing outside, you hear you just see him and him alone, and you hear Raphael saying, "Go around the back, and I'll stay here." And you hear you, you hear all three voices in that first in that first shot. So it's like. Yeah, I'm only seeing one person. I, I guess you know if you don't know what's happening, your brain doesn't necessarily go there immediately. Like, oh, maybe I wasn't paying attention or something. <laughs> but it's pretty clear. Yeah, uh, by at least 20 minutes into the episode. So the fact that they make it this big reveal at the end, like, even Gideon and, and Morgan, they, they they figured it out. They just didn't actually say it. <laughs> yeah, but it was what it was. So I'm not. I do we. Determine a winner this episode? I don't feel like we do. No, it, I mean, this it's is not this over is yet. Not, it's not finished. This case, I mean, right now, it's certainly, if, if I had to put a tag on it, obviously, it, it certainly don't seem like a win at this point, but. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, we, uh, we are halfway through at this point. This, there's, there's, we're going to hold it just like we held it at the end of the, the Fisher King, uh, which was labeled part one, part two. This is not labeled part one, part two, but uh, yeah, clearly, we, we, we're, we're going to hold off judgment until this case is finished. Okay, that's fair. So uh, let's just uh, go to our our usual end of episode quiz that we like to do here every week. So yeah, I mean they did you know they didn't say the big game, so the title was not said. I do want to get that. The, we're in a dry spell here, only one of the last four episodes, but hopefully that'll pick back up uh, going forward. Uh, I like to give you the three trivia quiz, the three question trivia quiz based on uh, the episode, inspired by the episode that we just saw, and uh, let's get right to it. Question one. I mean, I can't not ask a Super Bowl 41 trivia question. I mean, it's a big game. It's about the big game. You already knew that the Colts won 29-17 over the Bears. You mentioned Peyton Manning. He was indeed the MVP of the game. Those are easy questions. I want to know, who was the halftime performer at this game? Huh. That's a good question. I have no idea. I'm trying to... I mean, we have plenty of plenty of uh, options. I'm wondering if this was the famous wardrobe malfunction Super Bowl with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. Uh, that Jezebel. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, was sometime during that era, but I don't remember what year that was. I, I don't really know, AJ, so I'm going to pick... It was in Miami, so I'm going to say this was that fantastic Prince Super Bowl performance where it was raining, and, and he did Purple Rain, and I know that this is probably not the right answer, but I just want to bring everybody's mind to that great halftime performance, so I'm going to say Prince. You're going to say Prince, and by saying Prince, you are absolutely correct. It was Prince. Very well done. Oh. Do you happen to know which which college uh, band accompanied him for part of his uh, set? Uh, I don't. 
because I also would have accepted the Florida A and M marching band. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> technically they performed at halftime. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Well done, one for one. Excellent. Let's move on to question two. Wow. So yeah, good job, James Vanderbeek. He was in this episode. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> the Beak was once married to an actress named Heather McComb, who was on what television show? which aired on NBC in the late 1990s, about, coincidentally enough, an Atlanta-based FBI unit. What was the name of that show that starred the one-time Mrs. Beak, Heather McCone? NBC, FBI, Atlanta unit. Possibly the location that they were field officing out of here? Huh. This one isn't coming to me. I'm trying to think. Of it. Um, you said 90s? It was in the 90s? Late 90s, yeah. I'm wondering if this was a long-lived show or if it was a one-and-done, one-season-and-done type of show. Uh, it's not coming to mind, so I'm going to try to think of some show names from back in that time. NBC. So I've, I'm maybe thinking of some franchises that were on... NBC, but I don't think any of the Law and Orders were in Atlanta. Jeez Louise. I don't know. I'm going to make up a show name that I think was a show name before, but <laughs> has nothing to do with it. I'm just going to say Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, it, it, whatever answer can be wrong will will be wrong, I suppose. Uh <laughs> No, this was a show, it actually was, I believe it was on for like four seasons. Uh, Heather was only on for the first two, uh, and it had a wonderful name. It's called Profiler. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. Very relevant to uh, Criminal Minds. As, uh, I remember that show name, but I, I never watched there you it. Go. Yeah. All right. Finally, this is where we normally would do my favorite question of the week, which is where we would try and guess the plot of next week's episode, uh, Criminal Minds Season 2, Episode 15, Revelations. Uh, but, of course, it's just a part two. So by going into the plot, it's uh, it picks up where we left off. So uh, not much of a guess there. So instead, I'm just going to give you another question based off of this episode. Uh, you said that the person who was playing Tobias's father in the flashbacks was creepy looking. That uh, was not just any ordinary creepy-looking fella. That is, of course, the wonderfully uh, lesser brother, Don Swayze, brother of Patrick Swayze. Uh, I did a little deep dive on the IMDb page of Don Swayze, and I have here for you four movie titles. Oh, boy, here we go. Three of these titles are actual, his first three television movie roles. The fourth one okay. is not. So I need for you to find the fake in these four movie titles, which were Don Swayze's first forays into the world of television made-for-TV movies. Are you ready? Got it. Let's go. Three right. One is wrong. Is it? Is the wrong one A, I married a centerfold? <laughs> is it B, J-O-O? E and the Colonel. <laughs> Is it C? 
pigs versus freaks? Or is it D, Prince of Bel-Air? Hmm. You'll notice the lack of French. Fresh. There's no fresh in that title. It is just Prince of Bel-Air. I don't know. All of these sound wonderful. I really want to watch all of them, especially pigs versus freaks. (laughs) 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 But actually, AJ... That is going to be my guess as the fake pig versus freak. Pigs versus freaks. Pigs versus freaks. You don't believe that there was a movie named Pigs versus Freaks? I, you know, I'm sure there probably was since I'm, you know, I'm not a great guesser at these things, but uh, let's go. (laughs) All right. Well, turns out that Pigs versus Freaks indeed was a made for TV (laughs) movie. But it did not star Don Swayze. That was the first TV movie that Patrick Swayze appeared in back in the what? 80s. Yes. You <laughs> picked the correct answer. There was no Don Swayze in Pigs vs. Freaks, but there was a Patrick Swayze. Wow. <laughs> correct answer. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I can't believe it because uh, my luck tends to usually run the other way. But wow, I got to see Pigs versus Freaks with young Patrick Swayze. Huh. I'm pretty sure you shouldn't have to uh, see that at all. It was uh, the cast of this is really weird because it like it's a generational span of of cast here. So in this is like Stephen First, okay, from, like you know Animal, Animal House. House, yeah, Grant Goodeve from It Is Enough, yeah, yeah, Swayze, Tony Randall as a man, oh my God. as a character named Rambaba Organimus. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but also, Adam Baldwin. <laughs> oh, who's, who's young, the? Who's the uh, is this pre? This is post my bodyguard. Po- probably yeah. This is yeah. 19, well, this After is nineteen eighty-two, so it's just yeah. it's just a weird huh. weird crossing there because I'm like Adam Baldwin. You mean from like Josh Swedenverse? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Well, folks, boy, that was fun. I can't wait till next week when we see what the heck finally happens here. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us. That is our episode for this week. I hope you had a great time as usual. Please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. Or do both. That would be my preference. For uh, AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up, boy. Carl Wiggins wrote in the book Wrong Planet, Searching for Your Tribe, I hold a beast, a celestial being, and a maniac inside of me. It's up to you which one you meet.